1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse number 11 through 13. All right? If you have it, say amen. Amen. The Bible simply says, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Now these things happen to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him which is generic, let him, let her, who thinks he stands. Everybody say, thinks you stand. That didn't kind of go right. That didn't go right. <laughs> Think you stand. All right. Take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you. You hadn't been through any trial, through any temptation that has consumed you, that has caught you by surprise, that has infiltrated your protective shell. No temptation that has ever entered your life has overtaken you except temptations that are common to man. Except for things that have happened to other people. Y'all with me? Hmm. The next three words. <laughs> but God and God is faithful. Why is he faithful and how is he faithful, Paul? Hmm. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to get away from it. That you may be able to run away and get out of this struggle, this temptation to quit, this temptation to give in this temptation to give up, this temptation to sin, whatever it is. He'll make a way of escape so that you might be able to bear it. Turn to your neighbor. Please turn to a real-life person. Person in real life. Thank you. I see you looking at real people. And say, God, God. is faithful. Amen. Now turn to somebody else. Please, no turning to walls or inanimate objects. Please turn to a real living person. 
Even if you're looking at me, brother, that's good. I just want to make sure everybody's looking at somebody, right? We don't want to have to beef up our security around this place. And say, God, God is faithful. And that's what we're going to talk about for a few moments. One of the interesting things about temptation, and when I say temptation, and when this text talks about temptation, it's not just talking about Adam and Eve at the tree that was forbidding, forbidden. It's not just talking about, you know, tempted as far as tested and tempted to do wrong. That word temptation is a word that umbrellas not only those things, but it also umbrellas things that have to do with, uh, with being tried, being tested, being uh, frustrated, uh, being tempted, being, uh, being tested, being torn, uh, being in a fix, being in a situation that, uh, that causes you to try to find your way out of it without God. Uh, those things umbrella the word temptation. A trial, a tribulation can be a temptation. God knows that sometimes the water can get so hot that even though God is telling you to stay in there, you're tempted to jump out. God knows the situation can get so frustrating that even though this is the way God is telling you to go, there's something in you that says it's better to accept the temporary relief of getting out than the long-term rewards of staying in and doing what God has called you to do. I'm wondering if anybody has ever felt like they were the only one in a particular fix. Have you ever been in one of those trials where you felt like there wasn't anybody that was going through what you were going through and because you felt like that you also began to build a wall against people unnecessarily because in your mind you convinced yourself that they couldn't understand because they're not going through this we hear plenty of times people say uh, even in songs you don't know what he's done for me and and that's true we don't know but let me tell you that there's nothing he's done for you that he has not done for somebody else we sometimes like stubborn children want to be the child that the child of God that he only does something for like children who wants to be the only one that gets the allowance the only one that gets the coat of many colors the only one that gets favored the only one and even in our affliction sometimes you can overhear us arguing and competing for the worst affliction one person says, yeah, I had back surgery. And the another person says, oh, child, that ain't nothing. They, I, I had surgery in my back, then I had surgery on my stomach. And then somebody else says, child, that ain't nothing. I had my head decapitated, and they sold it back on. And I'm telling you, you ain't been through what I've been through. But I've come to tell you, while we race sometimes and compare afflictions, the reality is this that there's nobody that has gone through anything and is going through anything that somebody else has not gone through. This text, the segue to this verse, and I don't want to go through all of the historical background, but the reality is God, Paul was reverting way back to the Old Testament, showing the Corinthian church all of the things they were tempted with in the wilderness. 
They were the children of God and they were tempted and they failed. They were tempted to give up and many of them gave up. They were tempted to sin and many of them sinned. They were tempted to give out and many of them gave out. They were tempted to turn around and many of them turned around. And what Paul was saying to them through the Holy Spirit is don't think you stand because you're a child of God. Just look at the history because if you think you stand, you need to listen right now lest you fall. Whenever you're most confident is when you need to be most listening. God knows we get to periods in our life where we feel confident about where we are and what's going on in our lives and everything's right and everything's fine. Our praise is high and sometimes it's not high because of the in spite of element but because of the because of element and sometimes we're feeling okay. When you feel you're most confident, this writer is saying that's when you need to listen because the devil never tempts somebody to fall who's on the ground. He wants you to stand tall. He wants you to be elevated. He wants you to be aggrandized. He wants you to be up on the mount. Why? Because nobody gets killed being pushed down from standing up, but you'll be killed being pushed down from a mount. So listen, 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 listen. In our personal lives, when things are all right, I'm not saying get an anxiety and start thinking something is going to go wrong. You need the Lord most. You need the word of God most when things are going well. Are you hearing me? That's when you need the word of God most. That's when you need to listen most because there's a thing that creeps in called complacency where you think that where you are is where you're fixed. And if there are five or six of you that would be honest in here, you would testify that there are times when you think you had it and everything was rolling well and the devil put his foot out while you were walking with God and you tripped while walking with God. And so that's when you need to listen. You got a raise, start praying. Are you hearing me? You get a job, start list, keep listening to the word. Watch this. You get healed from a sickness, keep listening. And I know I'm drifting here, but there's a thing called the searing of the heart. Let me tell you what the searing of the heart is. The searing of the heart is when the enemy can get you to rebel against God at the very moment you have everything to be thankful for. So that you become numb to God's goodness. And when you become numb to God's goodness and think that where you are is where you're set, then what happens is God can no longer reach you with his goodness. So he has to reach you with his wrath. Are y'all understanding this? When things happen and good things are happening, and I'm, I'm good, yeah, I'm good. Then, you, know, you know, somebody say, you need prayer? And some of us will have the audacity to say, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Let him that thinks he stands, listen, take heed, pay attention, lest he fall. Yes. We're most vulnerable when we, uh, when, sometimes we're most, most vulnerable when we're watching somebody else go through something. So Paul is saying, after giving this long list of things that happened with the children of Israel, he's saying, look, if you think you stand like they thought they stood, and why did the children of Israel thought, 
think that they stood and they were all right. Watch, watch this. When you get back, when you get to, to your private moment, to your prayer closet, your study chamber, look at verse 1 up to verse number 10. They thought they stood. This is going to make a lot of sense. Because they left Egypt. They thought they stood because they got out of something. The problem is with the devil is he will wait for you into something and then wait for you when you get out. Has anyone had the devil on your trail as soon as you got out of something? As soon as you achieve something, then cometh the devil. Take heed, lest ye fall. Now, he moves on. And he says, just like we all feel like sometimes, I know I'm the only one going through this. Only, I got to be the only one going through this. Sometimes the embarrassment, sometimes, what, sometimes you hear people talking about how good it is for them. And the devil will, the enemy will influence your heart to Flood your own thoughts and inundate your own thoughts with the exclusivity of affliction. Everybody say the exclusivity of affliction. That means when you begin to pull away because everybody else's song sounds happier than yours and begin to think that what you're going to you're through is exclusively only what you go through. Now the danger of that, let me help you. The danger of that is you start pulling away from potential help. The devil will play with your mind and you'll become envious of other people's joy. I know none, I know none of you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people outside, people down at the gas station, people washing their car on Sunday. That, now, I'm not talking about the kind of envious where you will be a hater. You'll become a shader. Y'all uh, missing that. I ain't no hater. No, you may not be a hater, but you'll be a shader. You will interrupt a conversation if somebody's talking too much about how good things are going for them. There will be something in you that wants to intercept the sunshine of somebody else's situation with a palm tree to shade it because I can't handle hearing how good things are going for you. You have withdrawn yourself into the exclusivity of affliction and in your mind you think you're the only ones. Whole churches get like that and think they're the only ones going through the struggle. But I advise you today, every now and then, don't assume that just because you see somebody's bright side that there's nothing going on on the other side. Talk to somebody and you may find out that people are speaking of this bright moment because they've had so many dark moments that when the bright moment happens, they got to talk about it because they got to live off of that bright moment as time changes. Don't, 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 don't. I want to talk. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop comparing. Stop looking at brother and sister so-and-so and looking at their relationship and, say, and then looking at yours and think, well, we're the only ones going through this. Stop that. Stop thinking you're the only one that failed a class. 
Young people, stop looking and looking at. Don't think you're the only one that failed a class. And even if you failed a grade, don't think you're the only one. You're sitting in a fellowship of people who have managed to keep their affliction so quiet and the quiet and the temptations they fall into so covert that you will almost think that everybody lives on a perpetual island of happiness. That is not the case. There is no temptation taken, overtaken, but what is common, okay? There's a double side to this. That means there are no Christians who are facing some super temptation. Are y'all hearing me today? Y'all mighty quiet in here. I don't... I, I don't know who I'm talking to in here. You ain't got no super temptation. No, you don't. I, I know, well, I'm going through this with my kids. Okay, I understand that. But you don't have, no, this is somebody's, this is silk, man. What you trying to do? Yeah. I appreciate it, Nate. Thank you. No, no, I'm not going to wipe. I appreciate that. But silk, uh, silk might uh, damage my skin. You're not going through a super temptation. Now, now let's get to it, right? But it's common to man. Now, here is the equalizer. It's right there in that verse. No temptation taken you, but such as is common. Thank you, Edward. Sorry, Tim, but thank you. I, I appreciate it. I can pat with it. But God is faithful. Y'all hear that? Let me help you understand that element of God, the pistos of God, faithfulness of God. It, it doesn't mean that God is uh, yielding. God being faithful. Wow, I got, look at that. He opened up the windows of heaven. And I got more than I can receive. <laughs> God being faithful does not mean he is shifty. It means, watch, it, watch this, because faithful can be a scary thing. Are you understanding this? Depending on how we look at it. It means not only is he faithful, but he's faithful for you. He's faithful for you. Okay? Now, now, how many of you parents, when you say something, you mean it? Any parent, any of those parents left? You say it, you mean it, right? Right? That's integrity. That's faithfulness. Right? You tell your little grandbaby, I'm going to whip your behind. They start crying now. You know why they start crying now? Because you're faithful. I know that they know that there is no incongruence between what you say and what you do. Are you understanding that? Maybe I know there's a generation that don't know what a whipping is. Uh, I, let me help you. If you don't know what a whipping is, as a matter of fact, and I'm being polite with the word whipping. We had beatings, greetings, right? Well, back in the day, in the Old Testament of American history, 
when your mama or daddy or grandmama or whatever you call her gave you warning, watch this, and then finally stopped with the warnings and said, what, what did they say? You gonna, you gonna get it? Wait till you get home? It didn't matter how bright you smiled between that moment and home. Now watch this. It didn't even matter how much you cuddled under your mom. She would allow it. Faithful didn't mean not loving. Faithful meant if I say I'm going to do it, I'm not going to get home and talk about it. If I said I'm going to do it, we're not going to rationalize it later. If I say later you're getting it, that means you have an appointment with an uncomfortable destiny. <laughs> say amen if you know I'm telling the truth. Now God is that kind of faithful. And you ought to be glad. That's why heaven is a place for prepared people. Because you don't want everybody, watch this. Now, okay, now let me... Let me say this carefully. You don't want God to let everybody into heaven when he comes again. Do you know why? Heaven will be another rendition of here. Does that make sense? You don't want to get to heaven and have to worry about your glass of milk and honey being stolen because somebody <laughs> made it up there with Are you understanding this? Right? I'm not saying God wants all men to be saved, yes. But the reason why heaven is going to be reserved for the called and those whose robes have been washed is because God is faithful. And his faithfulness never has a tug of war with his mercy. Now that's scary if you're on the wrong side of God. But oh, if you trust him and you are faithful to him, or not because his mercy and his grace is sufficient God will use his faithfulness in your favor what does that look like that looks like even when you and I are not faithful to God God doesn't break who he is because we've broken who we're supposed to be aren't you glad that God doesn't treat us the way we treat him Aren't you glad that God is not sometimey with us like we're sometimey with him? The reason why it's like that is because in spite of us, God says, I am faithful. I'm going to be faithful in spite of what you are. And in his mercy, he uses his faithfulness for us. For us. God is faithful. He's not designed to be a scary thing. That's why the rest of this text says God is faithful. And what results from his faithfulness? He is so faithful and committed to us that he will not allow you to be in a doorless room of temptation. He will never allow you to be in a doorless room of trial. What does that mean? He will always place a door somewhere in the middle of your trial 
in the middle of your temptation. Why? Because he's faithful enough to want us to win. Even when nobody else wants us to win, God says, I'm faithful. And we get hung up when we pay more attention to our circumstances than our certainties. And I, I need to help you with the certainty piece. Sometimes we trust the certainty promise of unfaithful people to result or give us God's faithful result. Are you understanding this? And I'm not saying don't trust, or I'm not saying be par paranoid and dist irrationally distrusting. But the only one who has the capacity to be perfect in his faithfulness is God. The bank can say, we're going to release the money to you for your loan on Wednesday. And the bank can fall through. Are you hearing me? We start adding these other things to God and putting these other things as having the same faithfulness of God. And I'm learning that God will sometimes allow these other things to fail so that you're stuck with the reality that there is no substitute for God and there's no substitute for putting your trust in God. Stop trying to find something else to trust in and something else to expect faithfulness out of. At the end of the day, if that worked, it's because he worked it. And when Christians and people of God start doing that, we start depending more on the crutch than God's healing. What do you mean? We'll ignore God healing us and we will aggrandize the crutch and call the crutch our healing. That boot Kendrick has, that big boot with the dead leg, the stinky leg you got there, and we play like that all the time. That's a means to an end. You don't want to get stuck with something that only promises limited faithfulness. Okay, let, let, me, let me tell you another thing. Not only is, now let me help you. Faithfulness, and I know this temptation thing, you know. I, I, know, what, I know what you're saying. I see what God is saying. But all if I told you what I'm going through. The reason why God can be faithful is because he's seen it all. You can't surprise God. Let, let me help you. When we pray, God is never in a say what moment. That's us. Say what? And some of us need to stop telling people our business and tell the God who already knows. Because people will act un- surprise and when they walk away exhale with amazement and surprise you're not supposed to you shouldn't tell everybody everything that's why God is the only one you can tell something to and it don't go nowhere and guess what he understands why because he got to your mistake before you made it he was there waiting on you to walk this way he got to your trouble before you got there and in the church, we need to stop. Now, I'm going to tell you, the devil is, I'm seeing something weird happening all over the place where Christians are becoming word of God resistant. 
because there are so many other floating philosophies and ideologies out there that sound appealing. There are substitutes for the word of God that are out there that will never give you the feeling. You cannot get full off of a picture of a plate of food. And these are pictures of plates of food that are offering to quench and to satisfy our hunger. At the end of the day, we need to get back to the word and what God says and depend on his qualities and his attributes. He is faithful. That means even if you don't see him, you got to hold on to the fact that he's faithful. Even when he's not moving, He's faithful even when you don't have the answer and people will expect the answer and sometimes you don't have the answer. Sometimes you don't know how it's going to turn out. Sometimes you can't even compute it. You can't put it together. You can't write it out. You can't use a computer. You can't Google it. You can't Yahoo mail it. You can't do any of that. And when you and I are in that place, we need to depend on what God says and God says, I am faithful. I'm faithful. Is that enough? Is that enough? Is that still enough for you? Or are you at a place where you are placing an expectation of faithfulness on things and other people and resources that they cannot produce? Let me uh, invite you right quick, and I'm, I'm just about done. Lamentations, chapter 3. And I know that's a hard book. You know, that's not one of those common books people study. Lamentations. Some of you may not have known that was in the Bible. Everybody say lamentation. That means sorrows or griefs. It's right after the book of Jeremiah. Lamentations belong to Jeremiah. These were the things that caused Jeremiah to grieve. And one of the things that caused Jeremiah to grieve was that Jerusalem was doomed for destruction. And they were doomed for destruction because they did not stay with God. They decided to look for alternative means to handle and save themselves. They fell to idolatry. They fell to other things. They fell to serving other gods. They fell to lifestyles that were not part of what God had for them. And the, watch this. I, the prophet, he was called Jeremiah. He's also called the weeping prophet because no matter what he preached, they didn't believe. That's the hardest job for a preacher, to preach to an unbelieving audience, to preach to a church that hear you, but that's all they do. To preach to a church of people that hear you, but their agendas first. Now, what does it cause? It causes grief. It causes grief because one of, the, one of the gifts of the prophet is the prophet was able to see down the road. Kind of like a parent that has a child that won't listen to her or listen to him and has a comeback answer with everything. Has a logic child's logical answer to everything and you get wounded in your spirit because you know you absolutely know where they're headed but because they won't listen because they're all right because they don't value what you are saying they go their own way and Jeremiah was preaching and preaching and preaching to the people of God look 
this is what's going to happen if you don't repent. Turn around. Stop. Listen, be faithful. Be faithful. Look, God is faithful. Be faithful. And all of this preaching and teaching, it got heard, but it did not get adhered to. And so he preached all of that in Jeremiah in Lamentations. He's crying. He's in grief. He's in grief because God's people didn't believe. Sounds like something else, someone else. You know, Jesus wept. You know why Jesus wept? He didn't weep because Lazarus died. Jesus, could, Jesus spoke to Lazarus and Lazarus came up. Why would he be crying over somebody who he's about to raise anyway? Why would Jesus cry? Jesus was crying because even though the witnesses saw him do things that defied logic, they still would not trust him. Now watch this. Right in front of him. Right in front of him. He's right there and they don't trust him. He's looking how, at how uh, they're looking for somebody to blame because when people find, feel a sense of hopelessness, they look for somebody to blame. When you stop trusting God, you look for somebody to blame and you take the recourse of finding whose fault it is other than waiting for God to change it. So in the process, you end up making enemies you don't have to have if you would just trust God. Because you think you can solve it if you find out whose fault it is. And most people doing the pointing have some fault in it themselves. You'll hear Jeremiah was preaching, telling you to wait on God. But you won't wait on God. Telling you to turn around. But you won't turn around telling you to come back to God but for some reason you won't come back to God telling you to be faithful to God but you won't be faithful to God and I'm telling you this because I see what's coming you're going to be destroyed so lamentations he's crying and in chapter 3 verse 22 the Bible says he says this the Lord's love and kindness Indeed, and watch this. He recognizes in the middle of the impending trouble, he says, the, the Lord what? The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. In other words, God ain't going to change who he is because we're stubborn. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad? Because the human way is if you're going to act that way, fine. Anybody ever say that? Why do I feel like I'm talking to an audience of people that are watching power on a screen behind me? Look. Anybody ever give up on somebody? Is there a witness? In a, anybody that said, oh, you want it that way? Fine. I'll cut you up. All right. You going to act that way? I got something for you. That's the human way to do it. God is not like that. God says, oh, you going to do that? All right. I'm going to stay faithful. Because I'm going to show you why it was a bad thing for you to leave me. I'm going to show you why it was a tough thing and a rough thing for you to stop trusting me. I'm going to remain kind. Why? Because that's who I am. Yeah. And when you stay who you are and you are not affected by how other people are, they will come to a point where they understand that it was them with the problem and not you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. He says, God, God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. 
His love and kindness is there. He hasn't changed. Your circumstance changed, but that doesn't mean God changed. He's kind even when you're going through the worst hellish situation you can ever think of. God God says, I'm still God. I'm still kind. Look what else he said. For his compassions never fail. Uh Uh-huh. They are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. The humanistic thing that happens is when God is good to us every morning and we get this goodness, this steady flow of goodness, because it's not scarce, we depreciate it. Hmm. That's the economy of the world today. When something is scarce, it's more expensive. You notice that? They put out a new pair of Jordans. If, if, those are the, if there are only 700 pair of those Jordans in the country, if you get a hold of them, you think you're the man. You be feeling like the man when you walk through. Because it's scarce. But God floods us with his grace and his mercy every day. And what happens is we get used to it. And we think God is supposed to do it. And he's, he is going to do it. But he's not doing it because we demand it. He does it because he's what? Watch what the text says. Great is not faithful. Why? Because great is your faithfulness. God, I've messed up. We've messed up. We distrusted him to his face. And God's still faithful. Faithful, what do you mean? I think one of the things that scares me the most, scares me out of my socks, is when I know I haven't been on point with God, and he turns around and blesses me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm wondering if there's a witness in the house or has everybody here got it together? I'm talking about I know I haven't been praying like I ought to because I'm so busy I've lost time to pray. So busy working that you can't pray. So busy being busy that you don't have time to pray and you get in this automatic pilot and then something happens and you call on the Lord and there's a little demonic voice that says you ain't been praying but you want to call on him now now that everything is haywire you forgot about him when everything was good when you were juggling everything and then God in his faithfulness as I begin to buy into my own poisoned rationale turns around and blesses me why? because God is faithful he will do what he said he's going to do and he's faithful to the point that he will make a door for you not to be where you are sometimes the door is a conversation with somebody sometimes the door is on the other side of thorn bushes because the key to this verse is endurance he'll make a way of escape there's the escape so that you may be able to endure. You see how that works? That means the promise and the knowledge of getting out of here will give you the strength to endure what it takes to get out of there. 
to get out of there, to get out of that way of thinking, to get out of that situation. Why does God do it? Because he's faithful. Some of you have given up on God, and the reason why you've given up on God is because it makes logical sense that by now he should have given up on you. That's right, Doc. That is so right. Yes, sir. And so what we do is we give up on God. We stop coming to church. And we give up on God and we feel like, well, I'm too far gone. Then you start talking the language of defeat and say, when I get it together, I'll come back. That's like being a diabetic and say, when I get my sugar right, I'll start taking the insulin. Uh, no. No. Well, I, you know, I failed and I cut myself and I'm bleeding. And I think it's my, I think I cut a very major, major nerve, a major artery. I can't even feel my hands and blood is pouring all out. You know what? Let me cover it up. And when I get this right, I'm going to go to the ER. Uh, stay aware. You, that is the most self-destructive language because you feel yes, like, you feel like sometimes that God is not going to be for you. We project how people are on God. Yes, yes, sir. Uh -huh. yes, sir. And sometimes we forget that he's God. He's not sister so-and-so that don't talk to you no more. He's not brother so-and-so that's acting funny with you ever since, uh, ever since you, you did something or y'all had a disagreement. He's not some, like some spouses that roll their neck and say, uh-huh, God, that's right, uh-huh, what goes around comes around. <laughs> He's faithful. faithful. Yes, sir. He's faithful. How many of you have messed up? Watch yes. this. He's, he'll bless you anyway. Yes, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's not displeased. But him being displeased does not infringe on the fact that God faithful. is faithful. Yes, sir. He's not one of those that break a promise because you broke it. Huh. Are you understanding? Yes, He's faithful. I need you to hear what God is saying. God is saying, I'm faithful. Come back to me. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I said, I will deliver. I'm faithful. I know you feel bad. I know you feel bad. And, 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 and you got scuffed up out there. And I've got to treat it. And it's going to hurt. I'm going to put this alcohol on that wound and it's going to burn. But I'm doing it because I'm faithful. Yeah. Malachi says, I'm God and I change not. Right? Right. But the last part of the verse said, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Right. Everything God is, he is for our benefit. Amen. Amen. Even his wrath. His discipline for our benefit. His wrath on somebody else that may not be his child. We shouldn't gloat in it. But if somebody's on their way to rob you and they trip and fall and bust their head on the concrete, that's faithfulness. I, look, look I, I'm not glorifying. I'm not saying I'm happy that happened. But you, we don't even know how many times something happened to somebody that meant us no good. That's right, Doc. 
He's faithful. You're protected in ways you don't even know. Yes, sir. You have no idea. But that's God. And what God is saying is I'm faithful to you. Place your faith in me. Trust me. Mountain View, trust me. Haven't you been rough places before? Uh, everybody stand to your feet. This is why. One of the things I'm very emphatic on, and I, you know, I get a lot of flack. You know, when you, when you don't have backbone, people complain that you don't have backbone. When you have backbone and boldness, they complain that you have boldness. So I'm just going to have what God told me to have. And God did not give me the spirit of fear. We're about to go into another season of, of training and ordaining new leaders. You, we're not going to ordain any leader that doesn't practice faith in his personal life. Because when you don't practice faith on a personal level, you come to the congregation faithless. And you become one of the spies that say, we can't take the land. Are you understanding this? It has to start with each individual. God already said what he is. He says, I'm faithful. I'll come through. I'll do what I said I'm going to do. What are you worried about? I'm not doing it fast enough. Don't worry about the, 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 the circumstance. Look at the certainty. I am promising you that I am faithful. I'm going to work it out. Sister girl, I'm going to work it out. I don't have anywhere to live. This and that job and bills and bills. He says, I'm faithful. Those bills are a challenge for you. Not me. You don't have the money. I got riches. I am faithful. Well, I, know I'm, I don't know how I'm going to make it, this and that and the other. God says, I'm faithful. Trust me, I'm faithful. What, but faithful does not mean predictable. God is not predictable. Stop trying to predict God and give him a formula for how you want him to come through. Just trust that he is faithful. During that pe season, people will laugh. People that don't have faith think people with faith are ridiculous. I've seen it. They laugh, and then they pit wisdom against your faith. How many of you know that God will supplement everything you don't have? Gnostics glorified wisdom. They worship wisdom. You can be so wise that you will wisdom yourself out of having to trust God. It is not a man that walketh to direct his own steps. There are things beyond your and my control. So at the end of the day, you know what you're left with? God's faithfulness. You can water your yard all day long until God what he do, does what he does under the soil. Ain't nothing coming up. You still have to trust God's faithfulness. Mountain View, say, tell somebody, trust God's faithfulness. 